Representative Sharice Davids is often celebrated as one of the first Native American women in Congress. And that's because it's true, right? She is. She was elected in 2018, and along with Deb Holland, who is now Secretary Holland, they became the first two Native American women ever elected to Congress. And I want to acknowledge and celebrate that, but at the same time, I think it's deeply clarifying and sobering that this happened only just a few years ago. It's progress, definitely, but it's bittersweet, I think. So today, Representative Davids is here to talk about how she got to this place, how even it surprises her sometimes, and what her experience has been like as an out member of the House of Representatives. At this moment, she's one of just nine. Representative Davids also tells her story in a new children's book that is called Sharice's Big Voice, and it's out now. So without further ado, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and from The Advocate magazine, in partnership with GLAAD, this is LGBTQ and A. So in your children's book called Sharice's Big Voice, in it you write that when you think about winning your first election, one of the things you think about is how amazing it is that you won, but also that you even tried to win. Can you talk about that second part, the fact that you even tried to win? Like, why that's so amazing to you? I feel like I have a life experience that's not necessarily unique. Being raised by a single parent, you know, working while I was in school, there are quite a few of my experiences that I feel like are just not uncommon experiences. But they certainly, at least growing up, probably shaped what I imagined I would be doing as an adult or what the scope of opportunities or possibilities there were. It just didn't ever cross my mind that I might one day be running for Congress. I mean, you mentioned your education. I have a question about that, actually. You went to Cornell for law school, but before that, you attended Haskell Indian Nations University, University of Kansas, Johnson County Community College, and the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Was that you trying to figure out, like, what you wanted to do? Was that financial? Like, can you explain all those different undergrads? Yeah, it was a combination of all those things, I think. Definitely some of it was financial. Johnson County Community College is one of the best community colleges in the country. And so it's very fortunate to be living in the place where Johnson County Community College is at. Haskell Indian Nations University is, in addition to the the cost, it doesn't cost that much to go there. But the experience of going to a school with other Native folks was very appealing to me. And then some of it was that I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I feel like it was a combination of all of those things. I mean, many part of your identity makes you stand out in Congress, but I also have to assume that not many people have community college on their resume who are in Congress. Yeah, I think there's more now than there's ever been before. I remember talking to Johanna Hayes about it. I'm fairly certain that Johanna Hayes, who, you know, before she came to Congress was the teacher of the year at one point, I'm pretty sure that she went to community college as well. As an adult, you are one of a handful of Native Americans in Congress. You have Native American attached to your name. But as a kid growing up, how much was it a part of your identity? It's interesting to think about that and try to parse that out because it's like a piece of me that's always there. There's a story I share about coming home one day when I was very little and saying, you know, Mommy, what what am I? And she says, well, why are you asking that? Because people... Other people are asking me and I don't know what to tell them. You know, it's one of those things where 
I think there's probably a lot of kids who get asked, like, what are you? And it doesn't feel very good. But I do remember as a, as a kid, my mom saying, well, you're Ho-Chunk and you should like tell them, you know, you're, you're Native American, your tribe is Ho-Chunk. You know, our people are from Wisconsin. And, you know, when you're growing up, you're just absorbing these things and it's like who you are. So it's hard to, it's hard to know because it's the only experience I've ever had. As one of only four Native Americans in Congress, you know, you represent your district in Kansas, but do you feel like it is also your job to work for and speak for all Native people in the U.S.? I would never say that I speak for Native people or even my tribe or... I'm wondering if you don't have that choice because you're often the only one in the room. Yeah, so I I think I can... I think I can bring things up on behalf of other people, but I'm just really careful about the concept of, of speaking for other people, even talking about it in that way. Like, like any group, Native people are not a monolith, and I think it's helpful to constantly remind people of that and make sure that folks know that I might be an expert on my experience, on my lived experience, or certain parts of like legislation or policy or, or that sort of thing. But especially as in my role as a member of Congress, I have to spend most of my time listening to other people who are talking about the issues and concerns that they have. So I'm doing that for sure for the third district. And when it comes to tribal issues, tribal communities, it's both a responsibility and a privilege to be able to be the person in the room that's a, that Ask a, asks questions like I get I can ask questions that other people might not even think of because of my experience and that's pretty cool. Do you have an example of when that's happened recently? It's interesting because because I I'm native but I'm also an attorney who has practiced law with tribes. I've worked on some of the very big issues that we have to deal with now that I'm dealing with as a member of Congress. There's been quite a few times where. I've looked at a piece of legislation and the intention is there and it's a really good intention. Like, oh, we want to make sure that tribes are included in this because it's a very complex area. There'll be plenty of times where I'm like, oh, let's set up a meeting with that member who's introducing this piece of legislation, whether it's related to voting rights or during the pandemic, tribes and Indian country has been hit pretty hard. And the Paycheck Protection Program was intended to be for all like small businesses who fit into some, you know, specific categories, but certainly tribal organizations should have been included in that. The law was written that way, but the SBA and the Treasury Department put out regulations basically saying tribal organizations aren't eligible. And so I basically led an effort with, it was bipartisan Republicans and Democrats in the House and in the Senate, and we were able to get the SBA and the Treasury Department to change the guidance and then, and so tribal organizations could access that program. Like that sort of thing. That's why I say it's a responsibility and it's a privilege. Like I, I got the chance to help. For legislation that you introduce or co-sponsor, how much thought or effort do you give on making sure it can pass in the Senate? Mm, the most effective thing I, I think I can do as a member of the House is work through and try to pick up support for policies that I think are going to be really effective, whether it's for the third district or for tribal communities or for the country, is um, is to really focus on my colleagues in the House, because there's a lot of us. Just the process to get things through a committee to the House floor, it can be a long process. 
I guess to use a specific example, like I'm thinking about the Equality Act, which would change the lives of so many people in America. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's now passed two terms in the House. It's stalled in the Senate. And right now it's like functioning to me as like a lovely signal to the country of our priorities. But it can't be just only a signal. So I completely agree. It can't just be a a sentiment that we're putting out there. I think it's promising that when we pass things out of the House, if they have bipartisan support, it makes it feel more promising for the prospects in the Senate. And the Equality Act passed with bipartisan support, which I was very glad to see. But so are people in the House of Representatives like calling senators and like helping to like make sure it gets the floor? Or is it kind of just like on its own after it passes? I mean, definitely there are conversations that happen. And, you know, the House has... Actually, we had a Quality Caucus meeting this morning, the House Equality Caucus. We we meet at 8.15 in the morning. Is that only the queer members of Congress or is it also like allies? Oh, the co-chairs. I should say the co-chairs. It's where we get a chance to talk about things like working with, you know, David Cicilline, who for like multiple sessions of Congress has really led the charge on getting the Equality Act passed and and building up support and, and that sort of thing. That's the time when we get the chance to talk about if we've had conversations with anybody on the Senate side, what the leadership of the House is, is doing, where bills are at, either in committee or the timing for coming to the floor. Is there anything to be optimistic about in the next like month, let's say, with the Equality Act? That I can't say for certain, you know, with the infrastructure conversations and yeah, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of conversations going on about what's going to happen on the Senate side. And actually this could, that could probably be an evergreen statement. I mean, I always wondered how much like camaraderie there is between the LGBTQ members of the House of Representatives. Like when you were sworn in, did Representative Cicilline like take you to a gay bar? Like what did that look like? Well, it's interesting because this time around, we're, we've been in the middle of a pandemic. I got the chance to meet Mark DeCano and David Cicilline before I won my election. It's because the Equality, the Equality Caucus tries to be supportive of candidates who are running. And we definitely spend a lot of time together. When the pandemic hit, uh, one of the things that I've missed a lot is, is getting the chance to spend time with, with my colleagues Angie Craig and Chris Pappas and I, like we do events together on a pretty regular basis. Angie and I like to joke about having like a comedy bit that we do. We don't really, but we probably both laugh at our own jokes a little too much. You know, with 435 members of Congress, I've always wondered how much contact or FaceTime do you have with the president? Mm, That's an interesting question. I mean, I don't, I, I have to say I'm, I'm not really sure at this point because we just had a changeover in administration. I've had the chance to go to the White House twice, and one of those meetings was with the president and the vice president and Secretary Buttigieg. But I don't know. I'll have to get back to you. Maybe at least to talk again in like a year and I can tell you. We will do a follow-up. Yeah. Is it ever appropriate to, you know, contact the White House and say, like, hey, I need a one-on-one with the president? Or do you need to, like, go through, like, Nancy Pelosi first? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I could definitely reach out and say, I'd like to, I'd like to have a one-on-one with the president, please. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know if it's going to happen. But I guess you can't pull that card too many times, right? Not every Tuesday. 
Right. Maybe I could reach out and say, can I have a standing meeting with the president Tuesdays? We'll see. I'll let you know how it goes. We're going to follow up. You know, you mentioned Secretary Buttigieg. Mm -hmm. He, of course, is the Secretary of Transportation. You yourself are on the House Committee on Transportation. You know, a lot of transportation. Why do gay people like transportation so much? (laughs) Um, That's an interesting question. I... I guess I hadn't really thought about that. You know, Angie and I, she's on energy and commerce now, but we sat next to each other on the transportation and infrastructure committee. I wonder if it has to do with maybe like problem solving, like getting to the getting to the root of, of an issue or something like that. Because I feel like you spend a lot of time when you're, maybe when you're young trying to figure out like, how do I how do I solve them? I don't know. I thought I was thinking it's more like sinister, like this is politics. And, you know, queer people maybe think that they need to prove something. And it's easy to say like, yeah, I'm gay, but I fixed your bridge. I closed your potholes. Like, look at these concrete things I can do. Um, this is not a handicap, you know, for lack of better words. Oh, I don't know. I feel like for me, it feels like, one, I'm pretty nerdy. So that's part of it for me, but it could be kind of a, see, I can be helpful or something. Can I ask how you think about social media? And to be more specific, you were sworn in with Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh-huh. Does everyone in Congress look at her ability to command attention on Twitter and social media and say, I want to do that too? Well, I don't know how other people think about think about it. How about you? I'm not... I think social media can be a very important thing. I am not personally, I don't spend really any time on there. Here's what I think about the social media stuff. And like, now that I'm in Congress, because I I imagine, I think I had different thoughts on it before I got here. The amazing thing about Congress is like each one of us shows up with like our own expertise area, our own thoughts, desires, motivations, skill sets, It's kind of like having 435 small businesses or entrepreneurs figuring out like, okay, what am I going to do with this two years that I for sure have? And I'm in a situation where I flipped a seat. I beat a four-term Republican incumbent in Kansas. And so I tend to spend most of my time focused on constituent services, which requires social media usage. And with the AOC example, like there's pluses and minuses to, you know, like having a larger megaphone also like has a ton of hate from the right and the left, to be honest. I didn't know if like it was a calculated thing to say flying under the radar, not having my name attached and like publicly to legislation actually is like helpful often. I think the thing that when I was running, I felt like, okay, I understand the third district It doesn't mean that we all agree about everything or that I think, oh, everybody's going to agree with me on everything. But now that I've gotten this couple of years under my belt, I can tell that I have an approach. Like, and I think that's like kind of, it's just my personality. I'm kind of nerdy. (laughs) I'm fine giving speeches and doing the kind of public facing stuff, but The place I really thrive and the place I most enjoy myself is like hearings and parsing through policy and and that sort of thing. And and I think it happens to fit my district pretty well, um, if that makes sense. So I don't know about the intentionality of 
the kind of quote unquote flying under the radar. But I do think there's like something to the fact that I'm, whether we're talking about when I was doing MMA or working on community and economic development stuff, like I just kind of like show up and I'm like, what needs to be done? And I just kind of start digging in in that way. Um, not as much of a out in front kind of person. Yeah. And then one final question from the book before I let you go, but you write about watching the campaign results come in for your first election, and you talk about watching them with your partner. And it is the first time I've ever seen you publicly acknowledge being in a relationship. Can I ask about that to the extent that you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, and I think that some of that has to do with, I try to be really cognizant of the fact that there's a lot of people who, for one reason or another, because of the like community they're in, their family situation, their like there are all these different outside pressures and then internal pressures that we have for one reason or another. Sometimes it's because of those outside things that we internalize. So I never want to shy away from acknowledging who I am, being authentic as much as I can be. It's an important thing to be able to say as a now public figure, which feels very strange. Like, yes, I'm out. I'm not ashamed of any part of who I am. I think that can be really important. I also try to be cognizant of, you know, like getting to be a regular human that has like my own life that everybody, that's just like my, my life. And so it was an intentional thing to make sure that, because I think that it's important to specifically on this, like make sure that people know that I'm not going to shy away from who I am. So is it an intentional decision to say like, hey, I have this relationship, but also like to also keep parts of it private as you're allowed, I guess. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a lesson in boundaries. I don't know. But I think that it's mostly the fact that I know so many people spend a lot of their life not feeling seen. I'm not immune to that. None of us are immune to that. And it can be because of being part of the LGBTQ plus community. It can be as a woman or as a native person. There are a lot of different reasons why we might not feel seen or heard. Being able to just acknowledge things can, I think, sometimes help reduce that level of invisibility that we might feel. I think that's an amazing place to leave at. So thank you so much for taking the time for this. Yeah, I'm glad we got to do it. And then we have like lots of follow-ups, apparently. Well, I'm holding you to it. Okay. And that was Representative Sharice Davids. Her children's book called Sharice's Big Voice includes some gorgeous illustrations and it's out now. And then next week, we'll be continuing our big pride celebration with the iconic Chella Man. So if you've not yet subscribed, now is the opportunity of a lifetime. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you prefer to listen. And while you're there, please leave a comment or review. When you do things like leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts, it really helps new people find our show and helps us continue to grow. So thank you so much to everyone who does that. We're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD. I'm Jeffrey Masters. I will see you next week. Bye.